Hello again and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with RJ. If this is your first time listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe and follow so you know exactly when we release brand new episodes. Also, don't forget to share. If you like what you hear, share it with everyone you know. This episode is going to be focusing on a question that I've heard so many times and I'm sure everyone out there has heard so many times and that's why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate question and often it's it's I've never heard a person who's like on top of the world, enjoying life, living the dream and, you know, just succeeding like crazy. Ask this question. I've never heard those people who like have an easier life or apparently um, seemingly easier life. I've never heard people in those situations ask that question. More often than not, the time uh, the type of people that I hear ask this question are the people who are being drugged through the mud. The people who are suffering divorce after investing 15, 20 years of their life with this person living, you know, living the best way they possibly could contributing to a marriage, you know, the best way they could only to find out that the other person just didn't want to be married to them anymore, fell out of love with them and just leaves without actually trying to fight, you know, or somebody who was working hard, paying tithing to the Lord, serving and being a good Christian as best as they possibly can. And then somebody robs them or breaks into their house and steals their rent money and then they lose their home because they're not able to pay their rent. You know, or somebody who's always out there doing the Lord's work and then all of a sudden their car gets stolen or they keep having car problems or tire falls off on the freeway or they get a flat or, you know, a beautiful, honest, good woman who, you know, was always serving, always involved with doing good things in school and she saved herself she refused to have sex before marriage she wanted to give herself only to her husband and be a good woman be a good christian overall and she wanted to experience this physical intimacy for the first time within the bonds of marriage only to one day be physically violated against her will by somebody who was just despicable and appearance and smell and action. A lot of people in these situations would just think, you know, why is God doing this to me? I thought I was good. You know, I, I, I do my best to be a good Christian and I'm trying. I read my scriptures. I pray. I go to church. I, uh, I don't even cuss. I don't, I don't do anything I'm not supposed to be doing. Why would God let something like this happen? You know, and I can only imagine that little girl that that went through that is thinking, you know, I thought God wanted me to be pure, you know, and I, I was trying to be pure. I was trying to be good before my my wedding and, you know, share this only with one man. And somebody took that from me. I can't imagine the type of pain that a, a woman would feel or experience having experienced something so tragic. You know, me being... Um, for those of you who don't know, when I was young, when I was growing up, um, my biological father had sexually assaulted myself from when I was born up until I was nine years old and um, and also other members of my family. I'm not gonna identify which members because this is not their platform and I don't have their consent to identify who they were. But needless to say, my biological father was responsible and you know, in great levels uh, for the destruction of my family. My mother loved him with all her heart. Uh, 
had no idea he was doing these things to us. And when she found out, she took us to our auntie's house so that she could spend like that. It, it's hard. Like for people to be like, well, I would turn him in right away. You don't know what you would do until you're in that situation. Honestly, like in my mother chose our safety and our well-being over her own love because she really loved this man and gave her gave my father everything that he could want. But my father was sick and he sought elsewhere for sexual gratification and he also sought in children for that result. My mom took us to our auntie's house and we stayed there for like a weekend or so, a couple days or so. And my mom spent the last couple of days with him mad, crying, just like horrified. Like I done everything you wanted me to do. Why would you do those things to our children? Why would you hurt our children? And she just, she told him, you're going to turn yourself in. You better not do this to me. Don't, he's like, let me go take care of some things real quick. I need to go wrap some things up. And she's like, don't you dare run away from me because you hurt our kids. You need to turn them in. I'm, I am doing my best here. Turn yourself in. He's like, no, baby, I love you. I'm not going to do that. So he went, took care of whatever he needed to take care of. And he came back and um, then my mom drove him to jail to turn himself in. And, you know, I was a little kid. I didn't know what was going on. And I saw him in, in court one day. We came to court and the prosecutor was asking us if we had anything to say to my dad. And he was sitting there. I mean, he pled guilty. He didn't plead in, you know, not guilty or try to fight it. He pled guilty. And he got life without parole. And my dad was older. You know, he was already older. So any sentence he would get was a death penalty. And my dad was born in 1929. My mom was born in 1954. My dad was like 50 something years old when my mom was 30 something and she got pregnant with me. So my dad was much older than a lot of people's grandfathers. But the fact is, is that um, I didn't think to say anything because I didn't like seeing my dad in orange and shackled and handcuffs. It was embarrassing and heart-wrenching to see my dad. And when I came home after my mom had turned my dad in, you know, I had no idea my dad was gone. I came home and uh, I was running around the house looking for my dad because I hadn't seen him. I, I missed him. I was daddy, daddy. You know, nine-year-old little boy running around yelling for his dad. You know, and for, for a black kid, having a dad in your life really means something. I mean, for any kid, regardless of your color, but you know, having, I'm, I'm saying that from my culture, it's really sad and it's really unfortunate. We don't have a lot of dads that are still very active in the family. You know, the reasons for that are a number of different reasons which are not pertinent to this conversation. But the fact is, is that we don't have a lot of, a majority of the fathers in my culture are not there. And it's really sad. It's really sad because everyone needs a father. There's things that only fathers can teach their kids and there's things that only mothers can teach their kids. It's just, that's just how it is. There's certain lessons that only one person can teach effectively. The other person can't. So when I came home and I, I was looking for my mom or my dad and I was, I was calling out to him. He didn't answer. And I saw a bunch of stuff on my bed. I asked my mom, you know, mom, where's daddy at? And she sat us all down. She goes, daddy's in prison, honey. I'm like, what? Or no, she goes, daddy's in jail, honey. I'm like, what, why? What did he do? And then she said, you know, I knew what he was doing to you guys. And I said, he wasn't doing anything, mommy. He never did anything to us. And she's like, baby, I know he was hurting you guys. No, mommy, he never did. He never hurt us. Baby, I know. It's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. 
you didn't do anything wrong. This is not your fault. And I ran into my bedroom and I started crying because I was never going to see my daddy again. And I grew up, I started thinking, you know, I saw all these kids out there who would disrespect their dads, talk back to them, throw stuff at them. I see it on TikTok these days and uh, other forms of social media where these fathers are just the, the butt end of a really disrespectful prank. Like kids are walking up and telling their, their, their fathers like, F you and kiss my butt and all kinds of really disrespect thing or disrespectful things. And the fathers look at him like, what is your problem? And nothing happened, but they're sitting there and being disrespectful to their fathers. Like social media is fueling this movement where all across the ethnic spectrum, people are disrespecting their fathers. And now the purpose of a father is growing to become obsolete. People are like, oh, you don't need a man in your life. Uh, Yeah, you need a man and a woman in your life. That's called yin yang. It's called balance. If you're a single father or two two uh, two homosexual fathers that are, are married raising a daughter, you could be great parents. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying there are lessons you cannot teach your daughter. No matter how many books you read, no one can relate to a daughter when you're talking about having a baby or a menstrual cycle like a mother can. And no amount of twin moms, you know, uh, lesbian moms, whatever the case may be, transgender, whatever you want to identify as. There's none, none of you can relate to a boy, a little boy having an erection and teaching him how to manage that so that he doesn't go out and start screwing anything that has legs or does he doesn't start, you know, trying to gratify it by any means necessary or any means he feels is necessary. No one can do that like a father can because the father understands having an erection in a way that a woman doesn't. This is just certain things. And now those are just two basic things. There's many other experiences that only one sex can teach the, the same sex. And you know, and I, when I lost my dad, I didn't have a male role model to teach me how to be a man. My mother taught me how a woman should be treated by me, by teaching me how to treat her and teaching me how to treat women. But still, I didn't have a masculine. Uh, I learned my work ethic from my mom. But. I have severe uh, uh, disadvantages from not having a father, not because of my, my color, my skin color or my culture. It's because I didn't have a dad growing up. So I learned how to be, quote unquote, a man from a bunch of other fatherless boys. It's like the blind leading the blind. And I would start wondering, like, I was mad. I was just sitting there talking to God and just, why would you take my dad away from me? Why would you give me a dad who was sick? Why would you let my dad do all these things to us? Why would you keep doing this? How come this happened to me? How come this happened? I would always do that and I would be really upset. Why do I keep breaking women's hearts? Why can't I be faithful? Back then. Why don't I trust people? Why do I have such problems letting people get close to me? Even to this day, I still have problems letting people get close to me. I'm friendly with everybody until you show me that you're a threat. And otherwise, that's, that's when I'll, I'll change my friendly demeanor to a very firm, don't even think about it demeanor if I have to. But I don't trust people easily. It takes a lot for me to trust somebody. I don't just trust somebody because they're nice and friendly to me. I'm, I'm nice and friendly to everybody, but I don't just trust people. That's, that's earned with me. 
And part of that is because, you know, the man who was supposed to protect me, I couldn't trust. So I've had trust issues with with men throughout my life. And I've had trust women or trust issues with women as I've been screwed over. I, I'm not going to try to act like an angel because I've screwed over many women in my life. But I've been really screwed over in my life by some women for various reasons. And I can't, you know, I can't sit there and say I didn't have it coming. Still, having said that, I, uh, it's hard for me to trust anybody. I really wish I could just walk out and know who is trustworthy and be like, oh yeah, hey, yeah, this guy's good. I can't, it's so hard. I have to really get to know the person and then finally establish that trust. But it's kept me safe for a long time, thinking that way and feeling that way. But when I saw all these kids growing up without dads or with dads and disrespecting them, and I'm like, dude, I would give anything to have my dad back. Even though he was sick, I would still be able to, I would still love to just go spend time with him and, and talk with him and get to know his family line and the stories about his family line so that I can share those with my kids. I wouldn't trust him, you know, alone with my kids or anything like that because he was sick, but I want my kids to get to know their grandfather. You know, of course I'd be there right within arm's reach and also talking to them so that they can talk with my father and get to know him, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't let them sit on his lap. I'd let him give them a hug as long as it's an appropriate hug. But like, thing is, he's still family at the end of the day. And he's still my dad. I would not endanger my kids by any means. Having said that, I still would want, like, cause it's, anyone can change if they're willing. People can say, oh yeah, people like that don't change. No, I serve a God who can change any heart. And I am a living testimony of that. And I, I apologize, I'm not, I don't apologize for God. I'm just, you know, I like to always give people a heads up that I'm gonna be talking about God on my episodes um, so that they don't feel like it's trapped or anything like that. I want people to know, oh yeah, okay, if you're gonna talk about God, that's cool. And if they don't want to, they're, they're welcome to, you know, exit and not have to listen to it. I just don't like to ambush people with the subject of God because he's an, he's an incredible friend. He's my best friend and he's been so great to me. So I love talking about him. I just want to use this platform to reach many people about truth rather than uh, reach only a select few who have the same beliefs as I do. You know, I used to be very unfaithful. I was a, I was a slut myself, man. I was out there sleeping around with so many different women, sometimes in the same night. Um, I'm not proud of that at all. It's very embarrassing that I was that, that promiscuous. And I had a lot of really good women all at the same time. Re really, really good women who wanted to marry me, who loved me. But I didn't love myself and I didn't love them. I said the words to them, but I didn't mean them because I didn't love myself. So it's impossible to love someone else if you don't love yourself. Having said that, um, one day I asked the Lord to help me hear how I talk. He did. He let me hear the words that came out of my mouth and helped me stop talking a certain way. Then I asked him, Lord, help me be faithful. That took fasting. That took a lot of effort because it seemed like when I asked God to bless me to start being faithful, <laughs> it's like the stock for, you know, like the stock market for promiscuous women who really want me. <laughs> that's really, that's arrogant to say it, but I'm trying to illustrate a point. It's like the stock in that market right there just skyrocketed. I had so many, I was in a steady relationship, but I had so many women from my past 
finding me like hey i was looking all over for you i found you how are you like i'd like to get together with you and i'm like i'm in a relationship actually and like so we can hang out just be friends i'm like i know doggone well you're not trying to hang out and just be friends like yeah i um i don't hang out with women like that anymore i'm gonna study relationships so when i asked the lord to help me be faithful he gave me tons of opportunities to work on it he didn't just change my heart and go hey you're faithful now oh he said okay do you really want to be faithful all right i'm gonna give you a test i'm gonna allow you to have this test and you're gonna be faithful through it so he strengthened me by giving me the opportunity to endure these challenges so that i could be faithful when i wanted to stop cursing it was easy when i was in a great mood a great mood and happy go lucky but when i got mad and when i was about to fight or in a fight that's when i had to put in my work when i was upset and wanted to say some things I had to force myself even then to still remain faithful and say, no, I want to stop cursing. This doesn't give me a get out of jail free card. I know we all fall short and everyone makes mistakes, but there's a difference between slipping and not caring. And even when I'm mad and when I'm uh, when I'm about to fight someone or something like that, I still have full control over my my attitude. Maybe it's my military training. Maybe it's a mercy from God, but I don't make excuses as, as to why I said something I should have said. I'd rather shut up and stop talking like uh, my fiance and I, if she said something or did something that really irritated me or really bothered me, I would stop talking to her. Not to give her the silent treatment. It has nothing to do with giving her a silent treatment or ignoring her. It was all about me not saying something I shouldn't say just because I feel a certain way at that point. So I would just say, I got to stay quiet. She's like, oh, you're not going to answer. And I would look her in the eyes mad. And I would say, I love you with all my heart. I'm really upset right now and I'm not going to say what I want to say right now. And some, and before, you know, when we first started dating, she's like, no, say it, go ahead, say it, say it. No, don't bite your tongue. Say it. And I kind of put my foot down. I said, stop it. And she looked crazy. Like, cause I don't raise my voice like that. I'm not that kind of person. Uh, when I'm in leadership positions and I need to raise my voice, it's one thing, but in my relationship, no, she's not my subordinate. She's my equal, my partner. So I said, stop it. I'm trying to show you respect. Don't like, I was like, don't eat me on to show you disrespect. I have to answer to God for everything that I say to you. And I will not stand before God knowing that I had opened my mouth and spoken disrespectfully to one of his daughters. That was the very last time she ever did anything like that to me. When I was being quiet, I would not show her disrespect. Sometimes I needed to kind of just like distance myself from her physically, just like, you know, not disrespectfully, but just to cool myself down. Cause ultimately, you have to ask yourself a question. Do you want to be mad at your partner? Like who wants to be mad? Only miserable people. I'd rather be happy and enjoying life with my wife or my fiance rather than sitting there and choosing to sit there mad and uh, on the couch, just angry and slamming things around and sitting in my own wallow. Why? Where's the fun in that? I'm not gonna go apologize. They need to apologize to me. Okay, well, what happens if they don't apologize? Well, then I'm not going to talk to them. What did that accomplish? It's the principle. So what? Screw the principle. What's more important? The principle or your marriage or your relationship? If they're not coming to apologize and you know absolutely, and this is not pride talking, that they owe you an apology for what they did, then you need to sit down and talk with them when you're cool and just like, babe, that really hurt me. You know, like I didn't, I didn't want everybody outside to know that, uh, like, for example, let's say you lost a job, like 
babe, you told everyone that I lost my job. I don't want everybody to know my business. All your friends are successful. Every one of your friends are very successful. So when I, you tell them that I lost my job, now they're looking down at me like I'm less than them because, you know, because I lost my job and they're all successful. You know, in a perfect world, that wouldn't happen. But let's be real. This happens. So I'm saying like, just as a real quick example, don't look too deep into that, but just a, the example of if there's a situation where you feel disrespected and apology is not coming, maybe they don't know why they need to apologize. Cause I, I've actually had that in my experience where I've had to walk up and I, I sat my baby down and I was like, honey, um, what is it that I did wrong? And, and then she'll look at me and I'm like, don't say that I should know. Men have been trying to tell this to women for the longest time. Uh, we're not men. We're not mind readers. We don't know what's in your mind. We don't know why you're offended. So stop saying you should know. Stop saying it should be obvious to you or maybe you should think about it. Stop all that. That just kills unnecessary time. Why don't you just tell me what's going on so we can get through it? Because we're sitting there and looking at all this other stuff, thinking and like cherry, like digging deep in each little detail of this other stuff when that wasn't even the issue. I asked you to wash dishes, and when I came home, they were still there. Oh, that's it, my man. I thought it was because I didn't put gas in your car when I drove it to the, uh, to the store to go get groceries. I thought it was this, 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 and this, and she's like, no, that's not it at all. But if you would've just sat there and told them right the bat, babe, I, I'm just really upset because I asked you to wash the dishes. You've been home all day, and you could've washed the dishes at minimum. And I come home, they're still there. You haven't done anything. You know what, babe, you're right. I, I mismanaged my time, I was wrong. Uh, that won't happen again, I sincerely apologize. I got caught up with other things that were not as high a priority as that. Now you guys are better, you guys are moving through it. You can go in there and correct it. Boom, 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 move on with your life, you're happy. But those things really helped me out. Like those were all things that I had to experience as a result of the trauma and the suffering that I had gone through with previous girls. So having all the, like having all this growth came through trial. It came through suffering. It came through sacrifice where I had to, at that time I had to sacrifice some pretty beautiful, pretty beautiful, some very beautiful, physically beautiful women who were very forward in how much they wanted to have sex with me. I sacrificed those women for a steady relationship with one woman. And honestly, like I some at first it was like it was grinding my teeth like, "Oh my gosh, dude." Especially when some of them were like, "Hey, you know, I got a homegirl too, so, you know, it's whatever. You, her, me, like all three of us, all four of us." all five of us, like I got some other homegirls that would come over. Like I'm turning down all this stuff to be with one woman. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this is like every promiscuous guy's dream, having multiple women at the same time. This is great. But then I started remembering the goal. The goal was to be faithful. That's not a relapse if I go back to messing with these women. That's a willful choice to not only go back but to throw my goal out the window and also to hurt a really good woman. So I was like, I appreciate it, but I don't do that anymore. And I was grinding my teeth like, oh my gosh. And 
<laughs> at first i was sitting there kind of thinking at the back of my head i was like man i hope something goes wrong with this relationship i just just, just for like one day let let her just like you know what i don't want to do this anymore break up so i can go over there have my fun with these girls come right back and then baby i apologize i really want to be with you that that's that was the earlier thought process I had, a thought process that I had when I was in transition from being a slut to being faithful. And I'm not talking about being promiscuous, being a slut. I'm talking about being a cheater. Like I was sleeping around even though I was in committed relationships. So I went through that transition from being very promiscuous to being very faithful. And at first it was very, very, very difficult. But after practicing that difficult choice again and again and again, and then stepping forward to make sure that I wasn't even in the position to cheat or to hurt another woman. That was a key factor. Repetition is one of the greatest ways to, uh, to reprogram yourself. I forget how, what they say about um, how many times you need to repeat something before it's in your long-term memory bank or a habit, but I made sure that being faithful was a habit. And when I started learning about the um, the freedom that comes with being faithful. Now, I know a lot of people will disagree and say, well, when you're in a relationship, you're not free. Uh, it depends on the relationship. If you're in a relationship for the right reasons with a partner rather than a dictator, yeah, you're very free. Because your partner is going to be understanding, they're going to be supportive, they're going to be loving, both you guys on both sides. Like if your girl wants to go out and she's like, hey babe, she's not asking you for permission, she's asking you, how do you feel about this to get your feedback? Hey babe, um, my homegirls wanted to get me out. Uh, they wanted to go out for a girls' night. Is it okay if I? Uh, how do you feel about me going out with them? Uh, do you mind if I go out with them? Like, no, not at all, babe. Go for it. Have fun. And then you know you could either stay at home, take care of some stuff, or you can have a guys' night. Schedule a guys' night. And you guys are out. And you guys trust each other. At some point, you you guys call each other to check in. And say, hey babe, how's everything going? You guys okay? Yeah, everything's good. All right, just want to make sure you're safe. Love you. Bye. Have fun. And you're good. You know or going out with the guys and having a camp out or going out with the girls and just going to Vegas and having a good time. Not necessarily, and, and again, I've said this in a previous podca uh, podcast, women and men are, are very different in this regard when they go to clubs. Yeah, there are women out there who will use their sexiness to get extra drinks and, and get in for free and have a great time off somebody else's bill. That happens. But the fact is, is that Women are very capable of going to the club and just dancing with only the homegirls and having a good time with only the homegirls. Women can do that with no problem. Men, let's get on. Let's be honest. We can't do that. If we're if we go to the club with the women, we're gonna want to dance with the women. We're gonna want to go out there with the women. We're gonna want to like, hey, can I buy you a drink? <laughs> I've always loved that. I always think that's so funny whenever I hear a guy go, hey, can I buy you a drink? To me. The translation of that is, hey, can I get you drunk enough to talk to me? <laughs> I don't think I've ever bought a woman a drink in my life when I went to the club. Except for like, there was like one time, but it's because I, I had a couple of people come with me and like drinks were on me that night. But uh, other than that, like I've, if a woman walked up to me in the club, she's like, hey, you want to buy me a drink? I was like, no. <laughs> she would say, why? I'd say, because I don't know you. Why am I going to invest in you if I don't even know who you are and don't know anything about you? And I would sit there and have a conversation. And if the conversation was going well, she was smart because nothing turned me off more than stupid women. I can't stand stupid women. I've, I've been there, done that. I love to have intellectual conversations with, with women because for me, sexy includes mental, uh, mental capacity. 
just because a woman's dressing in lingerie and has an incredible body doesn't mean she's sexy. That just means she's physically appealing to me. But a woman who has a very smart mind, very witty, good sense of humor, oh my gosh, that's my kryptonite. That's why I'm engaged. Because my fiance is exactly that. Um, but yeah, like just all those things, like I'm talking about these, these good things later on because they came through the bad. So that's why we're talking about that. Why do bad things happen to good people? Let's start with the analogy of tests. When you're in high school or when you're in college, you have physical exam, or excuse me, you have uh, written oral exams. You have examinations, examinations, examinations that are established to test and written, uh, grade just how much of the information you have grasped and how much you are retaining, how much you're, you actually understand. The oral exams are the best ones because you don't write anything down, you're not copying off of anybody, and you're actually putting in your own words how you understand the subject. This is really interesting because a lot of people, um, people say they know a subject or they, they know uh, a skill or a job or a task or they know something really well. But the, the rule of thumb is this, if you can explain something to a five-year-old, then you truly, truly know it. If you can explain it to a five-year-old, you don't really know it. If you have to recite ver like verbatim a book, you really don't know what you're talking about. You just know the book and that's it. So these examinations are placed in college and also different places in life to see how much of the task you understand, how much your job you understand. So these bad things that happen are tests. They're God's way of seeing just how much of your life you have learned from. And a lot of times we're very selfish. More often than not, we're very selfish. You know, why would somebody break into my car? I hate that, that sucks, blah, 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 blah. This really, really sucks. Yeah, it sucks, because you didn't have an opportunity to defend yourself or defend your property. And somebody just victimized you in a cowardly way. Yeah, I'd be upset too. But when we calm down and think about it, like, Lord, you allowed this to happen. You saw it, you knew it was gonna happen, but you allowed it to happen. I know you love me. What am I supposed to learn from this? Is it? not to put my heart and soul and all my attention on my, you know, on my physical treasures? Is it patience and trust in you? Was my heart, you know, focused too much on worldly possessions as opposed to the eternal treasures that you have for me? If you people just keep ignore or like annoying you and causing you all this rage and frustration at work and and parties and, and, you know, and social groups that, that you started and all of a sudden somebody else came over and took it over and became stupid and made it something that it wasn't meant to be. And it's really irritating you asking God, like, Lord, what am I supposed to learn here? Like this stuff is happening for a reason. You saw it happening. You saw that it was going to happen yet. You didn't stop it. And I know you love me. 
What am I supposed to learn from this? Why did you allow it to happen? There's a reason. Help me understand it. Help me see it through your eyes. And then you start seeing, well, these people that are that have made the group something that it's not supposed to be or never was meant to be, these individuals are lost. They are overcompensating for their character because their characters, it's whack. It's a pathetic personality that they have, and they're trying to wear a mask to cover that up and make it appear that they're more, you know, they're more entertaining than they actually are. Ergo, when a guy comes up, a boring guy comes up, and he, I'm not saying all boring guys do this, but I'm saying boring guys come up to a woman like, hey, can I buy you a drink? Thinking that you're going to get buzzed enough for, you know, her to put her guard down and say, oh my gosh, you're so cute. I just want you to come home with me. And you're like, yes. <laughs> really? If you're entertaining, you don't need to buy a woman a drink. I've had a woman buy me drinks because we were just having a great conversation. She's like, you know what? Let me buy you a drink. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. The guys have been buying this woman drinks all night and she bought me a drink. And I'm like, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And she's like, well, thank you. You know, we share a drink. We have a good time. And she bought me a couple. I bought her a couple. And we just had a good time going back and forth like that. But I didn't walk up to her and ask her like, hey, can I buy you a drink? No, my pickup line when I walk up to a woman and talk to her is, hi, what's your name? That's that's what I do. I always start my conversations out like that. Why? Because just because you got a big booty and, and you got a sexy body doesn't mean that you're sexy to me. And two, doesn't mean I'm sexy to you. You know, it goes both ways. This is a job interview, if we're going to be honest. You walk up to somebody that's a complete stranger and you think, oh, you're physically beautiful. Well, well, what I do is like, oh, she's physically beautiful outside. So let's see if the inside matches the outside. That's why I say, hi, what's your name? I've had a woman go, ah, you know, give me this little face when, when I said, hi, what's your name? She goes, ah, gives me that little, that little sound of the face. I started laughing. I was like, never mind. I apologize for disturbing you. I was actually trying to see. I thought you were physically very beautiful. And I just wanted to see if your, your internal beauty matched your external. But apparently it doesn't. Or maybe you're just having a really bad day. I apologize. Please excuse me. And I continued. I started walking away. I've I've been stopped. I'm like, wait, wait. I apologize. You know, you were being very nice. I, I was being disrespectful. I'm just having a hard day. Okay, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help? Maybe I can make you smile, make your day a little bit better. But you see, it's conversation. I didn't come up there with a plan. I wasn't trying to sweep this girl off her feet. I just wanted to see, hey, is it worth my time? You know, I, I'm... Is this a cool person or is this going to be a psycho person that's going to, you know, stalk me forever or like cause drama in my life? That's what I was thinking back then, you know, and, and women often do the same thing with guys like they'll talk with them. And if a woman, you know, wants to sleep with a guy on a first date, chances are she's not going to bring him to her place. You know, this might be a practice of hers of, of being with guys on the first date, but she's not going to bring a smart woman will not bring a strange man to her home because you know, if that guy's one of those clingers, then he's going to think they're in a monogamous relationship. And she's just like, nah, bro, that was a one night thing. Go on with your life. You know, throw away the receipt. Because no returns, no refunds. Go. So you just got to be smart. Get to know the people before you mess around with them. That's, you know, sidebar. But I, I said I, I was talking about the uh, the challenges that were going on in life that they're tests. They're God's way of, sh of letting you grow. If we didn't have tests, there's no way we can measure how much we retain, how much we grow. Like you're being tested as a parent. When you're a parent, you're being tested every day. 
because every day is a new challenge. You might be a, a te- you might be uh, an expert with a five-year-old, but you're not an expert with a six-year-old. And if you have another child, you're not an expert of a six-year-old anymore. You're an expert now of a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Like it become, it takes time and endurance, or maybe you just become advanced, intermediate. Because when people like you see the differences when people get their first child, you know they're getting the most expensive diapers, they're getting the most expensive formula, and the most expensive strollers, and the biggest duffel bag or baby uh, diaper bag to make sure they have like ten, uh, like ten different pairs of clothes and uh, everything you could possibly need. And then the second child, they're like, nah, all we need, give, go, let's go to Goodwill and get that stroller right there because they're only going to be in a stroller for like three years. We only need it to last. If it's in Goodwill, it's still lasting. It will still last another three years. Let's go. So you go to Goodwill and buy you a used stroller or you just use the same stroller that you used for when, you know, your previous kid. And then, you know, you start learning about the diapers. Like, I don't need to go out and get Huggies anymore. Shoot, I'll get Loves or just go get the generic Target brand or or whatever brand that you're that is out there. Oh, I'm going to Costco and get me some diapers. The generic Costco brand, you know. And oh, a sidebar for anybody out there: if you are going to a baby shower, this is one of the biggest errors that people make. Everyone means well. Everyone wants to buy, you know, shoe toys and all these clothes and stuff like that. Look. The clothes are very inexpensive for babies that young. They're very, very cheap. Don't buy them clothes. If you're gonna buy anything for a diaper or for a um, a baby shower, and please, every mother would tell you the same thing unless she's like Kim Kardashian then or like some very wealthy bougie person. But if you're gonna go buy gifts for a baby shower, diapers. Get diapers because they're going to go through them fast and diapers are expensive that is going to be the thing they're going to need the most they'll get the similac or the the breast milk or whatever the case may be they're going to get that that's going to come they're going to have lots of clothes from grandma and grandpa or even them going and getting deals but they need diapers so yeah go get diapers um you know things to clean bottles those are good things as well they don't need toys. They'll get that stuff. The stuff that they need the most in a baby shower is diapers. So get like the newborn diapers and then get, you know, one size up. So if you get two boxes, you know, one, one size that they're going to need and one size up after that, you're going to help them out for some time. This is going to be good. Um, yeah. So those are just some things just to, you know, just to keep in, in consideration uh, for baby showers. And we have a guest coming in right now. This is Fahad. Hello, Fahad. Am I saying that right, Fahad? Yeah, we just said it right. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've got a question. I have an answer. Have you ever like touched with, with the person you love? Like this particular hand, and you can't just let it go. Because everyone in this life has to love someone, right? Everyone. Correct. And if you got like a very good heart, you can't cheat on him, you can't lie on him, you can't do anything bad to him. But if this person did that to you, 
What's your response to him? Well, I need an answer, yeah? If I'm understanding your question, it's um, if you're good to your, your partner and your partner just lies to you, hurts you, and cheats on you and betrays you, what do you do? Is that your question? Yeah. It really depends on the relationship. And what I mean by that is if the relationship is, you know, if it is worth being invested in, like you see that there is a desire. Because like I said with myself before, I was a big cheater, but I changed. So anyone can change if they do it for the right reasons and they have the desire to change. But the thing is, is if somebody doesn't want to change, that's when you have to recognize this person's not going to change. Um, they don't want to, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to settle for someone who doesn't respect me and won't trust me and won't be there for me. But it's supposed to be a two-way street. Both people are supposed to love each other, serve each other. And forgiveness is such a very critical part in a relationship. And I know sometimes when we're out there, uh, if somebody hurts us, especially if it's something that other people found out about, like, like let's say uh, I had a woman and she was cheating on me and a bunch of my coworkers saw her out there with another guy. It can be embarrassing to say, I'm gonna give you another chance because you see and feel she's really sorry and she will stop. Because you might, you're, yeah. you know, you have to face your coworkers, like that can happen. But ultimately at the end of the day, this is your relationship and you have the right to protect your relationship, be selfish about your relationship, not selfish in your relationship, but be selfish for the right to be happy. Whether that means I'm going to give my my partner another chance and forgive them and move forward, or I'm going to say no. But ultimately, you have to just look at the intent. Do you, If you feel that this person is going to change and you really believe that they want to and they are they can, then be there for them, forgive them. And the most important thing about forgiveness is don't throw it back in their face. Don't say, well, you mean if you didn't do this, we wouldn't be here right now. Well, you hurt me, I can do, no, don't do that. If you're going to move forward with somebody and you're going to forgive somebody, the most important thing is to let that go. Forgiving and letting go does not justify what someone did to you. It relieves, it takes away the pain that it, that act caused you so that you both can move forward. Yeah. Thank you, Ross. Thank you so much. No problem, brother. Thank you so much yeah. for reaching out. If you have any other questions, I'd be more than happy to, to help you out if I can. No, that's all. Thank you so much. Have a good day, yeah? You as well. Thank you, brother. Man, that's such a that's such a great a great point because a lot of us go through heartbreak like that. And you know, I know what it's like. Me personally, I've I've been in a relationship where I was a very good man to this woman. I invested so much money so that she can have a food truck that she really wanted to have. She came up and presented to me like, ah, I have this great idea where we can get a food truck. We'll be partners and, you know, it'll be our business. And I was like, OK. And she's like, I just need this much of a deposit so that we can get the truck. And I raised the money and I got the truck for her. And very soon thereafter, she started talking to me like she was my boss and my dictator. And she started being disrespectful to me. We hired an employee and she was talking to him about my shortcomings about not being able to uh, uh, cook the way she wanted me to cook. I've been cooking since I was six. I know how to cook. I just didn't know how to cook in a food truck the way she's accustomed to. So I had to relearn her way. So she continued to do some really messed up things to me. And I'm not going to use this platform to, uh, you know, to, to smear her or anything like that. But I, she did some really, really, really messed up stuff to me behind my back. And, um, 
I forgave her on multiple occasions after the things that I saw on her phone, the messages that I found, the pictures that I saw um, from other other people. And I was like, oh, great. And all these different witnesses talking to me about things that she did. I'm like, ah, oh, this is really sad. This is really sad. Because a number of people were, were telling me these things that I didn't know. And I was just like, ah, oh, I thought I was with somebody else. And it was hard, but I decided to end that relationship because I realized that Although I really wanted this relationship and I really, really loved her, the fact was I loved somebody who didn't exist. She was a liar the entire time. She was faking, so I was unable to love her. I couldn't love someone who didn't exist. But my heart was ripped to shreds by her. I was crying. I was mad. And for anyone to say, why would you cry over a woman? Well, when you when you choose to become vulnerable, and when you let your guard down to somebody, you're giving them unlimited access to destroy your heart and hope that they don't. That's what trust is. You gotta give people the opportunity to, uh, to get close to you emotionally, mentally, to hurt you and trust them that they won't. It's the same thing as when someone says, hey, I'm going out of town for, um, for a couple of weeks. Will you do me a favor? Here's my house key. Will you go in and feed my dog for me? You're like, yeah, absolutely. They're trusting you with power to hurt them. You can go in their house and steal everything they have. You can kill their dog. You can go have a party in their house. You can go do all kinds of stuff and get away with it. But they're trusting you that you're not gonna do that. And the same thing is about a relationship. You're entrusting somebody to not hurt you, but giving them access to do so. That's just kind of how real love works. That's why it's so appreciative. That's why you really appreciate Excuse me, reciprocal, happy, true love. Because you start to see, uh, like, this person is not going to, you know, misuse that trust that I gave them. But when I saw this woman didn't want to, you know, take care of my heart, she didn't want to be respectful to me, she wanted to hurt me and lie to me, etc. I chose to protect myself because she wouldn't do it. And I ended the relationship. And it really sucked. Because I was, I thought I was happy until I found out all that stuff. And I was like, oh, crap. This woman's not going to fight for me at all. Broke my heart. And I told her uh, I would never throw any of this stuff in her face. And I didn't. I didn't throw it in her face after the first time I found all that stuff. Second time I found all that stuff. And I told her, look, dude, do you want this relationship? Yes or no? If no, let me know so I can go. If you want this relationship, stop hurting me. She's like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she'd give me a hug and kiss. And then the third time I found it, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not, I, I am too good of a guy to sit here and, and let you mistreat me and treat me like garbage. And in every situation, everybody, listen, please know your value, but don't, don't look at yourself, you know, in this elevated way of thinking, oh, I'm better than this. No, really take an honest look at yourself. Me? I might not be the wealthiest financial person in the world. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable right now, but like, there's a lot of things I would love to do that I'm not able to do yet. But I do know what I do bring to the table is a very hard work ethic. I will work my butt off to provide for my family. I will find a way to provide for my family. My ethic will not settle for being broke. My ethic will not allow that to happen. I will work hard to put a roof over the heads of my my family. What else did I do? I bring comedy. I'm a funny person in my family. I love to make people laugh. I'm a very outgoing person. I don't meet strangers because I'm always saying hi to everybody and I'm an outgoing person. 
I love to help. I love to serve. I don't judge people based off their past or even their present. I try to look at people with a fresh pair of eyes, with love and kindness and compassion, just like I would love for people to look at me. And, you know, these I know my values. I know who I am and I'm a good man. I don't believe that my fiance serves me and she's my waitress. No, she's my partner. We serve each other. We both cook. We both provide for each other. If I go get something to drink, hey, baby, you want something to drink? Yeah. If my, my baby was uh, getting a cramp or she's like in, in a lot of pain or stuck or something like that and can't move, she could wake me up in the middle of the night. Even though I'm tired, I'd get up and give her a back massage, rub that cramp out or get out of bed real quick and get some hot water and put on that cramp to relax her muscle. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure my partner knows I got your back. We're in this together. But that came through, like, I went through a lot of hell before I came this way. But for everyone out there, the reason why I'm saying these things is because if you don't know your worth, you're likely to settle. And don't, I said this before and I'll say it again, don't settle for good looks. Just because a woman or a man is sexy to you, uh, you know, physically sexy, and just because you look at them and go, oh my gosh, I just want to lay you down in a bed and have my way with you. Or I want you to lay me down in bed and have your way with me. Just because somebody appears that way doesn't mean that their personality is is all that. Just keep in mind, like every partner you have, you know, you, you sleep with, there's a potential that that person can be your, your you know, your co-parent. Your, as they say, baby mom, baby mom, uh, baby father. So no form birth control unless you're practicing same-sex sexual acts. And no heterosexual uh, sexual intercourse is guaranteed to keep you you know, uh, not pregnant. There's a guy I knew that had a vasectomy and he, and he was in the Marine Corps with me. He got his wife pregnant. There's still a chance it could still happen. So I'm just saying nothing's guaranteed. So I strongly suggest that everyone listening very, very carefully choose your partners because what often happens is you end up getting the wrong person pregnant. You get the person you can't stand pregnant because you weren't vetting your sexual interests just keep that in mind because it can go really really bad real quick unless you really take care of yourself because if you know your own worth and your own value you're very you're more likely to not settle you're more likely to choose somebody who deserves you and who you deserve and um that's equal with you and and, um, it doesn't always mean financially like one thing is that's very common is men tend to marry women who have less married than uh, less money than them this is more of a common thing but sadly a lot of women will not marry um marry men with less money a lot of women won't do this a lot of women will will only date and marry men who have the same if not more money than they do and i think that's kind of uh that's kind of shallow but everybody has the right to their own opinion and to their own preferences hey keith welcome back good to see you again brother how you doing? Yeah, you're talking about like good, bad things happening to good people. <clears throat> in, in my life, when I was 27, I got cancer. I got a, a level three sarcoma. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. And I didn't have cancer in the history of my family. Um, and and I and I would, I beat it. But I mean, I got cancer. And then just you know, fast forward to this year, my wife she didn't didn't smoke, didn't do anything she got a level one cancer so 
So sometimes like you didn't you didn't do the thing that would be you know the key indicator of smoking, and none of us smoked, and we we both got cancer. Wow. So so a lot of what that cancer was because the environment, because of what you know chemical companies did, or you know what what manufacturing company did, or food company did, put stuff in our food and our water and our air. That gave me an external created cancer because of the carcinogens in the world. So the stuff you can do, all the right things you can do. You know, we we, we eat very healthy, organic, do a lot of good things, but we both still got cancer. Man, my mom's actually uh, a breast cancer survivor herself. Thank God. But like, there's so many people out there who have um, who have both received cancer and and passed away from it. And, you know, I think in these situations, I think the greatest warriors in the cancer uh, patient field, if you will, are the kids. The children that have cancer have this type of war. All they know is to fight because they don't have the worries of leaving, you know, uh, leaving their kids behind. They don't have the worries of losing a house or they don't have all the worries that have contaminated our thought process you know as we grow older and and we have more to lose we feel these kids just feel like i'm gonna fight that's the only option i have is to fight and they yeah. don't complain they just they stand there and they just the the strongest warriors i've ever seen and i've been in combat i've been to war in iraq and i've never seen stronger warriors than those little kids with their hair shaved off just yeah. standing there with chemo going into the well, room. Yeah, look at the kids at St. Jude's, you know, and all the other cancer type school hospitals or like critical illness hospitals. But, you know, like I think the mindset you have to have, like I tried to have the same kind of mindset. I, I was 27 when I got a cancer. Wow. So, and the kind of cancer I, ha I got was like typically you get from like exposure to radiation or chemicals. It was an external cancer on my back and I was a mountain biker. I used to like go into the woods and then maybe go into like ponds and streams, you know, and if you check the history of the Northeast of the USA, there were a lot of companies that would like dump chemicals into these ponds and dump stuff. And my cancer is actually caused by an external carcinogen. Wow. So like there was some kind of bad action from some you know, industrial pollution that caused me to get a cancer that wasn't genetically in the history of my family, right? So that 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 is a, the kind of thing. But you know, I fought it really hard, and I, I you know I did everything I could, and I'm still here. I'm 27 when I got it. I was 27. I'm 54, so I survived it, like like twice over. You know, the, you know. So the, the modern techniques are out there. But I had to. I did some things in my life. I changed some things in my life. I, I tried to keep a positive attitude. You know, was willing to look at things. I traveled to Japan, worked in Tokyo for many years. Tried to be as open as I can in my thinking, because I felt like after you get a chance to survive something like that, it kind of is like a life lesson. It kind of teaches you something. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's definitely a big uh, a big touchdown right there to survive something like that. Because it, it's just, it defeats a lot of people. Once a person, you know, gets diagnosed with cancer, a lot of times people just go, I'm done. Yeah. Well, it makes you feel like you're done, but you know, I, I did everything I could. I, I took the doctor's advice. I did the procedures. Um, 
I'll come back if, if you want. I'll tell you a couple of things I did that people ought to be mindful when they get cancer. So if, if you let me come back, I'll tell a couple of things. Okay. Yeah, you can come back one more time. Yeah. So it's just going to count down. But there's some things you got to be, you got to actually get knowledgeable about what's going on and then make good decisions by being informed. So I'm going to talk about that. One. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a very important thing. If people won't take care of themselves, then it's like, it's, it causes, uh, excuse me, it leaves um, the risk of falling into that kind of, uh, that kind of lifestyle. If, if you're, if you're not careful, you end up falling victim to some of these very um, deadly viruses and stuff like that. You actually increase your chances of falling victim to this. Yeah, back so the one th yeah, the one thing that happened was, like, I was initially, I'm 27, I'm an African-American. I went to a doctor, the first on oncologist, which is a cancer type of doctor, right, said, oh, we could put you in a study and give you an experimental chemotherapy, but there's a 50% chance that it's a placebo, which means there was a 50-50 shot that whatever they were giving me wasn't even a real treatment. And I had a level E sarcoma. So I paid attention to what he said. And I said, that means that like there's a 50% shot that you're not actually doing anything to get rid of the cancer. And you're giving me some experimental medicine I have no history of. So then I went to get a second opinion and I found, found a, a, an oncologist and said, you know, I want to get rid of this. We're going to do an operation and take the wider area around the tumor and the tumor. And we're going to do radiation for like eight weeks and give you a max lifetime dose of radiation to wipe it out. And that was like something that was going to proactively do it versus something that had a 50% shot that they weren't even doing it at all. So you, you had to really pay attention to what the doctors were telling you. And I went and got a second opinion and I'm here. Because in my opinion, if I had gone with the experimental thing where I, where I didn't even get the medicine, you know, and I didn't know why he was like thinking that that would be a good idea. He was like, he was just doing it like a test case to run some kind of research. It didn't seem like he cared about what it was going to do. Wow. So that's where you have to get knowledgeable. You have to pay attention to the things that people are telling you. And you have to take part in your care. You have to understand, you know, what, what is a level three sarcoma? You know, it's a pretty bad one, but it goes to level four is like the worst. A level three is pretty aggressive. And it was growing exponentially. It went from the size of a penny to the size of like a golf ball within like six months. So that's a very aggressive cancer. And if I didn't take care of it, it would have spread to my lungs, would have spread to all my internal organs and, and wiped me out. So it was something I had to be very proactive and make decisions on and, and do it rather quickly. Um, so people, you know, who don't go to the doctor when they have a lump or have something that looks wrong because they're scared of the doctor, like you're really taking away your choice. Yeah. If you, if you get something aggressive like that and you see something rapidly growing on your body where you feel something internally not right, if you wait too long, you might not have the time to fix it. Yeah. I mean, realistically, mental health is so much more important at times than physical health because uh, like the type of outlook a person has, like when you see uh, one of your grandparents passes away, 
uh, and they leave behind their, their wife or their husband, very often it's not too long after to when that uh, the remaining grandparent will pass away as well because they're just like, I don't want to live without my partner. You know, this is my wife or my husband. I want to be there with them and, you know, I don't have them anymore. So I just want to let it all go. So they have that hopelessness that comes in and then next thing you know, they, they pass away just as fast. So mental health is a very important thing on how to face situations and, you know, facing life and facing the different challenges that we face. Um, I'm using the word face a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like enduring challenges and, and facing the world really depend on perspective. You know, if, if your house is on fire and you just all lost your house, you can look at it and say, oh my gosh, we just lost our house. And yeah, of course that would be devastating. But then you can e easily look and say, at least I still have my family. At least all my family got out safely. Yeah, as long as you have your life, you can continue. Like the way I looked at it, once I had my life back, then I, everything was open. That's why I was willing to go to Japan, you know, like not too soon after I, I, I survived from that. I, I got married, had, had my, my daughter, and uh, we actually went and, and moved to Tokyo because we like, hey, let's, let's like live life and see what things are. You know, things how things, people talk about, oh, you go to Tokyo, people aren't gonna like you. I yeah. said, well, you know what? I survived cancer, I'm gonna check it out. And I had a great time in Tokyo. I thought it was like the best experience I ever had. So it's like, you can't let everybody tell you what to do. You gotta kind of direct your own life. Yep. You know? It's all in how you look at it. Thank, well, thank you, you so much. My pleasure, Keith. Thank you so much. We got another guest coming on right now. We got Jason, who's who's been on the show a couple of times as well. So I definitely like to welcome Jason. He's always got some great things to contribute as well, and I love hearing the the type of treasures he likes to share with us as well. Uh, thank you so much, Keith. Really hey, appreciate what's you, going brother. On, Ross? Good, to see you, man. Good to see you as well, brother. Welcome again. Um, a few bad things happen to good people. Actually, that's the title of book or sort of a book i read in college called when good things happen to, to good when bad things happen to good people and um the premise of the whole story was a guy i guess supposedly who's in the holocaust had his whole family wiped out came to america got a brand new family and then lost his family again in a fire and so it was about a story about a guy who just constantly went through one tragedy to the next of how he managed his mental fortitude to keep going. Um, you can never be prepared for anything. You can never be too prepared there. You know, you can't foresee how diseases or sickness or fights are going to turn out. You don't know. Yeah. But what you can do is train yourself in different areas of how you train to keep yourself mentally tough or, or strong. And, um, and if you're not doing it every day, like I ask myself questions like, and what am I doing for today is going to be the most effective for what purpose? I'll ask myself that question. Did I set aside enough of my time for me? That's my luxury or leisure. And did I set enough time for study? So, and then family in those critical areas, you, you train on, you cultivate, you make it better. Uh, but you have to be conscious about it. You can't just be on autopilot. Yeah. And that's very hard for a lot of us, you know. So when bad things happen, sometimes it's foreseeable. Other times it's not, you know. You make a beautiful so, point about that because, like, one of the things that you said that I felt was just that stood out is that a lot of people, when they're in relationships, 
they tend to lose themselves in their relationship because they're so busy you know in their role that they forget that they are still a critical point in that relationship so they don't really take a lot of me time there's no me time for them to work on themselves to give themselves peace like every mother every father every husband wife boyfriend whatever everyone needs to take a time to meditate to recharge their batteries and have some me time so that you can make sure you're not losing your own identity and the identity of the relationship because ultimately the relationship is a result of you and your partner your two different identities working together to create the relationship and a lot of people lose their identities in their relationship so that's it's a great point that you make about um about making sure that you take time for yourself and make sure you take time to study and and recharge your spiritual mental emotional batteries yeah from four o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning that's all about my time my exercise my study and things i'm interested in after that eight o'clock till five i'm working sometimes i'm working till seven and then from five o'clock to nine it's family time and then after that i've got to hit the rack because that's a long day i don't have boredom i don't have idle time it's 100 effective and when i need to take a break that you know you schedule your vacation you schedule actual time off yeah and I think we've lost, a lot of us have lost that concept. If you're not programming in a time to recess, then when you need to exercise, whether a muscle or your brain, you're not gonna be able to, to use it when you need it. You know, I like agree. a fighter doesn't stop training for the rest of his life, you know, just because he stopped fighting professionally. No, he constantly hits a bat, punches, he does road work, whether it's to the extreme or not, you know? It's like, uh, I heard this phrase, it's easier to train a warrior to be a gardener than a gardener to be a warrior. Mm. And I really take resonance with that because they both have very important roles, but one is on a scale of not violence and the other one is and protection so i just think that how do you train to do one and both sometimes at the same time being mindful of your emotional space i think that's the key yeah i agree there was a, a movie called uh take the lead with antonio banderas based off of a true story I remember that. yeah that, that movie's incredible i love it it's um it, it focuses one of the things he said that you reminded me of was the the medieval knights one of the things that made the medieval knights so uh, so incredibly respected is that they can be savage warriors on the battlefield, yet they could be so graceful as to waltz with a woman and be so gentle and so uh, so caressing, so easygoing, so gentlemanlike. You know, it was it's pretty cool to have that balance. And again, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on. I always love to hear your voice and, and hear what you have to say because you always bring good content to the to the show as well, as well as all of you. I really appreciate all of your input as well. And I continue to invite you if you have anything else to say. Um, feel free, reach out. Love to hear about these things because this is something all of us go through. And the uh, a very large misconception is that once people, especially amongst the Christian world, quote unquote Christian world, is that... Um, once you, you know, quote unquote, accept Christ or become a Christian, that these bad things aren't going to happen anymore. <laughs> that is just not true. 
it they happen more often to us because we're trying to get to eternity we're trying to get to heaven so that's not something that's easily going to be given that's something we have to it requires a change in us to become who we were created to be which requires some sort of boot camp in life hey william welcome to the show hey, man. how's it going man Martin, it's going well and yourself well if we were nice we'd be raising our right hand lifting our heads so we can see we were friends <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's this that's true yeah and that's why that's why uh in the military we include our officers they are the knights. The knights were the officers of the the military. They they're people that they were over for their national guard. And when they went to battle, they took the people from their uh, farms and, and plantations, the big places that they owned that they were the knight over and the lord. And they take those with them. So they were farmers, but they trained them to be soldiers also. And huh. that's why, uh, that's what officer and the gentleman, a uh, uh, knight, you know, they were fierce warriors, but, but gentle landowners and, and husbands and fathers were just well-rounded people. But, uh, yeah, I, I like stuff like that. But it's just good things happening to bad people. And, and uh, my mother said she was a very religious woman. And uh, so we went to church and everything. And, and like you said, it just seems like people who go to church who are believers or uh and bad things happen they uh they're like why me i do everything i'm supposed to god i'm supposed to do this and that but it's a it's a mindset that they really do like you said you think that you belong to the church and you're a christian and you're doing good all the time why why would bad things still happen to you they don't have the concept of life on life's terms yep that things just happen you know, oh, my people, my whole family was on the airplane and it crashed. And, you know, who they blame? God, God, you know. But it wasn't God. It's the mechanic left the wrench in the plane or didn't tighten the pole. It was something that, that was human-oriented that, yeah. that the plane crashed. It wasn't even, here's, here's the example. Two guys, the angel and the demon, sitting on a, a girder looking down at the street where there's construction going on. And uh, they're just having a couple of drinks they're just chilling out together and and uh the uh the angel tells the, the, the demon that you know y'all time is coming because you, you do bad all the time and and they're getting more christians and and pretty soon y'all be overpowered and uh there won't be no more good things that bad things happen to good people he goes yeah you want to know who they blame when that happens like this the demon puts the manhole cover off the guy comes walking down the street all happy no problems in the world he doesn't see it falls right down in the hole and the, they both start laughing well that's funny what that got to do with it? see who he blames when he comes out that hole he's been playing the demon yep so it is uh it's just life things happen uh it's not personal you know and if, if you're a, a gangster and you make millions of dollars of a long, happy life, a happy children and everything, uh, you got lucky. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Because <laughs> if you're a nice person and you do all the same thing, you just, you know, bad things happen to you every single day, you know, you got unlucky. That happens. That's, the, that's just, usually, something happens 
even if you're, you you say you're a good person or you, you don't really do anything, most things happen as a result of what we do. You know, it really does. This is true. Uh, so I follow the a philosophy of uh, do the next right thing. That is God's will for me to do the next right thing. And when I do the next right thing, I don't have any problems. I still, my car breaks down and, and people die and, and I stab people when I'm walking my dog sometimes. It's crazy people out here. But, uh, <laughs> but still, it's just when I do the next right thing, I don't have any problems, really. But when I'm being selfish and self-centered and get, to get what I want out of life, even if I'm friendly and nice to everybody, I get the results of being selfish and self-centered and doing what's right for me all the time instead of doing what's right. And we all know what what the next right thing is, but it's not always easy. And it's easier just to do the selfish thing or to ignore it. You know, it's just it's a mindset. But uh, I had to, to teach my mom that, you know, God would not to get you because of something you did. Were you cut off? Thank you so much, William. I appreciate your input, brother. You had some beautiful points as well, and I thank you for that. It's really, that's a really interesting thing too, because bad things can be looked at in two different ways like for one if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing like if we're stealing a little extra money from the cash register or taking longer lunches than we really should or you know we're being dishonest on our taxes like yeah the government sucks they, they're taking money from us and it feels kind of a nice little revenge to you know to get some extra money back and say ha i had to lie but you're not getting all that money i worked on yeah it feels nice but it's still wrong because it's dishonest Jesus said, give to God what's God's and give to Caesar what's Caesar's. He wasn't lying. He wasn't, you know, ambiguous to what he said. He was clear, you know, follow the laws of the land that are lawful and, you know, that don't encroach upon your physical or your, your constitutional rights. Um, but it's interesting, like when we're doing bad things and bad things happen, they're the result of punishment. These bad things are happening for punishment and correction. God doesn't really want you to suffer like that. He wants you to be corrected. So these bad things come, these quote unquote bad things come to correct. That's what they're there for. They're, they're tools to correct and help us to not go back to making the same choices that cause us to get that correction. And when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're serving, you're giving, you're helping, you're, you're being there for other people, those quote unquote bad things happen as a result of strength, of growth, of opportunities to grow and demonstrate. But you know, earlier on, I shared a uh, I shared a personal personal experience about my father and how he had sexually assaulted my siblings and myself. You know, we talked about these things, and um, I had actually talked about this in a previous broadcast. And one of the things that I said is, I used to ask that or ask Heavenly Father, Lord, why would you let that happen to me? Why would you do that? Why would you take away my dad? when all these other kids out there have dads they don't care about don't love and mistreat and disrespect but they have their dad still where's my dad where's my dad at and then one day after asking that question i i felt i almost heard the voice but i felt it as clear as day i'm right here son i never left you god told me i've always been your father don't i make sure you eat every day don't I put clothes on your back? Didn't I give you a job? Didn't I keep you healthy, keep you strong? Didn't I bring your fiance into your life? 
Didn't I give you your talents and your abilities? Didn't I give you all the wisdom that you learned through a tough life? Look how many people are being blessed and, and helped through the wisdom that you experienced through suffering. Son, I've always been here for you. There are people out there who are suffering and have no idea on how to get through that suffering. And I can tell you, when I heard that, it changed my life. It changed my perspective on things because I started to understand that, yeah, the Lord could have stopped my dad from doing the things he did to myself and my, mem and my family members, but he chose not to. Why? Because he knew that there would be many people out there who would feel helpless and hopeless and not know how to get through their valley, their wilderness, not, how, not know how to endure the suffering they had endured. But because God showed me and helped me through it, I will be able to help other people and relate to them. How am I going to go to a battered woman's shelter and talk about, here, you're no longer a victim. You were victimized, but you're not a victim. They're gonna look at me and go, what do you know? You're a man, get out of here. And I have nothing in common with them. I've never been beat by, you know, beat by uh, my wife or my significant other. I may have been hit, you know, but I've never been beat on. I can't relate with them in that instance. That's why the counselors that are in there, more often than not, are women who have also been beat. Because they can say, they can say yeah, well, you know, I was married for, for seven years to this one guy, and he used to beat me all the time, and he knocked my tooth out, and I actually had, you know, a, a party coming up, and I was going to be taking pictures with all the girls, so I had to smile with my mouth closed, and they were all noticing it, because I never smiled with my mouth closed, but my jaw was broken once, he gave me... He, I had to get my eye socket surgery. Like there's some really dark stories of, of domestic violence happening. And these women are standing strong and saying, you're no longer a victim. You were victimized, there's a difference. And because they, they can share the exact same message that I could share word for word. But the thing is, those women can relate because they understand it better than I do. I can't relate with them. That's just a sad reality of it. But with those who were sexually assaulted, I can relate to them. And it has been so worth it. The suffering I had experienced that, you know, from my dad was so worth it. Because there were lots of people that God used me to help. So that brings us back to the original question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because my dear brothers and sisters, we are the special forces. The good people are the special forces of God. And he's sending us into the multitude of people who have no idea how to fight back. The suffering was never about you. You just needed to go through it so that you can know how to do what you were created and called to do. I was sexually assaulted so that God can liberate many people through my suffering, just like his son liberated all of us through his suffering. He told us to follow in his footsteps, to do the things that he see, that we seen him do and do the things that he did. We're called to be saviors just like the Lord. Of course, we can't die for anyone's sins, but I'm saying we're supposed to follow that example to help those who can't help themselves. We suffer so that we can understand how to be God's hands more. 
That's the whole purpose of our suffering. So rather than focus on why me, why me, why me, take yourself out of it. Take the me out of it. Lord, what are you trying to teach myself? What am I to learn here? I know you love me. If you know that one thing, that is the most important lesson to know about God is that he loves you. Now, let's say you're a father. You see your, your little, you see your son sitting out there scared of the water. He's got his little floaties on. He's like five years old, but he's scared to jump in that water. Petrified, in fact. And he's just kind of squatting down like he wants to go in the water, but he's just too afraid. So as a dad, you're like, you're not a bully. You're not mean, but you're like, look, son, you there's nothing to be scared of. And he's like, uh, I don't want to get in. So as a father, you pick him up and throw him in the water. And then he comes up and he starts panicking and going crazy. And then you call his name in a very calm voice. And you're like, son, look at me. And he looks at you and, and like, stop moving. And he stops moving. See, you're not going down, right? You're not drowning. That's because you have flotation. You have flotation devices on. They won't let you drown. You're okay. You're safe. After they make that connection, they're like, oh, okay. I don't have any reason to be scared. I'm always going to come up to the top. And then you can later, little by little, teach them how to swim without them so they can rely on that. But the fact is sometimes we need to kind of push our child into the water because they're not going to get it on their own. And sometimes that's what God does to us. He pushes us into the water because we need to get there faster than we want to get on our own time. Just remember, nothing happens to you by accident. This life is not about you. It's about what God can do through you. He can choose anyone he wants to do his work, but he wants to use you. Good, bad things happen to good people because they're not bad things. There are events that are not enjoyable, events that are unfortunate, but in God's eyes, they're not bad things. It was horrible that Jesus Christ had to die for us, but it was a beautiful thing that saved so many. So in God's eyes and the Father's eyes, it was a necessary evil. So when we look at the situation, look at it from the way he would see it. And he'll show it to you if you ask him. But you can't ask him already thinking you know what he's going to say. You need to ask him with an open heart. You need to ask him, Lord, how should I look at this? You know, how should I continue? And also keep in mind, too, if, if you're Muslim and you, you follow Allah, you follow the Quran, you can pray to Allah and ask him. He's still God. You just have a different way of serving him. Christians and Muslims, we have different ways of serving the same God. We identify him differently, but we believe, you know, he's the same same individual. All right. So regardless of your, your religious or faith sect or what you believe, if you do believe in God in some form, know that he's listening to you and he will hear you if you're willing to talk to him. Whether or not you should forgive somebody and stay with them, ask him. Because he knows the heart of the person. And maybe, like with me, maybe he might tell you, I, I want you with this person. Stay with them a little bit longer. And you stay with them, and then you get hurt even more. And you're like, what the heck? I've said that to God. I'm like, what the heck, God? <laughs> you know, I said that to him because 
is my daddy. That's that's how I see him. He's my daddy. I'm not. I don't try to get disrespectful with him. I show respect and reverence to him, of course. I'm saying like when I asked him like why would you tell me to stay with her and then only to hurt me and I understand now in, in hindsight it makes sense because there were lessons I needed to learn that I only could have learned from her that prepared me for my current fiance sometimes the Lord wants us to stay in the in the storm a little bit longer he wants us to stay in there he doesn't always want to you know peace be still of the storm Sometimes he's like, nah, stay in it a little bit longer. Why? Why? Because there's a little bit more you need to learn about this storm before I end it. And that's the purpose. This whole storm was designed so you can learn this one lesson. So why would I want to let you come through this entire experience to not learn the lesson? That's the whole point of the, le of the experience. So I really encourage everyone listening right now to remember this. Don't complain when it seems like bad things are happening. You're being taught a lesson. And sometimes lessons are not convenient to your time, but they're always necessary. God will never give you anything you can't handle and he will never put you in a circumstance you're not prepared for. Now, having said that, if you don't do your part to prepare for the circumstance, it's likely that you can be put in a situation you're not prepared for. And then you're gonna look back and go, crap, I had all those opportunities to prepare for this. Now I'm not prepared. And now you can't take part in the thing you were supposed to be prepared for. Like God has blessed me with a gift to be able to interpret dreams. I know I'm not the source of the interpretation. He gives me the meaning of a dream. And then, you know, I'll say what the person, what the Lord tells me to say. I'm not a sidekick, I'm not a prophet, none of that. It's just a gift that God has given me to be able to do. And on a number of occasions, because I wasn't living the way he wanted me to live, someone told me a dream and I was unable to interpret it because I was unprepared due to my own choices. But I've had times where I was fasting, praying, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, living the way I was supposed to be living. And when a person told me the dream, God gave me the meaning of that dream and it came powerful with clarity i knew exactly what the dream me the dream meant and the person was opened up to warnings that they needed to pay attention to because they didn't tell me certain details of their life and i just happened to know that these symbols in the dream meant this so often just just remember like that god will not throw you in a situation you're not prepared for unless you choose to not be prepared for it he will always prepare you before you feel that experience Rejoice when you're tested. I know it doesn't feel comfortable having your home burned down or losing someone you really love or feeling betrayed or losing a job for all these different things that seem unfortunate. Just know this guarantee and hold on to it tight. God loves you. If he takes something away from you and you are living from him, I promise you, he will give you something at least double or at least two times better than what he took from you. The Lord takes and the Lord gives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Always rejoice in his name. Always give thanks to him. Even in the tough times. When I get irritated and I get super frustrated, I go, Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to work on my patience. 
that might it comes out at first sarcastic but it immediately refocuses me as i finish the statement because i'm recognizing to my subconscious and my my actual conscious that this is an opportunity for me to work on my patients for me to grow yeah i would love for everything to be smooth and move forward on this but the fact is, is you know sometimes it just doesn't work out that way sometimes the lord wants you to work on your patients because you don't have enough for what he's moving you toward. And I'll leave you guys with this analogy. God won't tell you what he has in store for you in full detail. He doesn't, he doesn't work that way. Why? Because we're doubters. We don't believe in ourselves like that. Even if we're super confident, we're like, yeah, I'm super confident. I, nah, we don't believe in ourselves to fulfill what he's actually asking us to fulfill. So the Lord doesn't work that way. What he usually does is he'll go, hey, come to, come over to me, walk over to me. And you know, you start walking. I'm like, okay, it's not a problem. I'm walking, it's nice. And he goes, I want you to you know, step up on top of this rock. And you step on top of that rock and you're like, all right, that wasn't that hard. It was a little, you know, got me a little breathing a little hard, but it's not that hard, but okay, I can do this. And he has you do it for a little bit. And then all of a sudden those rocks start getting bigger and bigger and then now, you got to climb up harder. You got to run and jump. And now it's taking more energy. And, and then he's going to go, okay, for this rock, I need you to jump up and grab this ledge and pull yourself up. You're like, what? I'm not strong enough to do that. I can't do that. And he's like, trust me. I wouldn't ask you to do it if you can't do it. Just believe. I'm here with you. We got this together. You and I, you're not alone. So you get up there and you got, you got to do the work. He's not going to do it for you. He's just going to help you do it. So you go, all right, Lord. Boom, you jump up and you grab that ledge and you pull yourself up and you're exhausted. Like, oh my gosh, that was crazy, but I did it. All right, you feel good about yourself. And he's like, great job, do it again. <laughs> what, <laughs> excuse me, Lord, don't you have other things to do? Don't you have like a, you know, a universe to run and salvation to take care of and, you know, you know lights to make, you know, stay on and miracles to happen. He's like, I'm doing all of that right now. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm still doing all that at the same time but I'm right here with you because you're important too. And I, and I want to help you out with something. You're like, oh my gosh. You can't lie to him and make excuses. You can only lie to yourself. And then he's going to look at you and go, you think I believe that? I know your thoughts. Come on, get up. And then he helps you up. And then you walk over to the next ledge and you jump and you pull yourself up on that one. And you're like, please, no more. And he's like, come on, get up. You're not even halfway done yet. Let's go. Come on, just one, one at a time, one ledge at a time. And you start noticing that these ledges are getting taller and higher and higher and now you continue to keep doing you keep facing it the lord's helping you up on each one of those ledges and then you see this ledge that's over this big drop like if you slip and you don't grab on this ledge you're dead you will die you slip you fall to your death don't you don't grab it you fall to your death the only option you have is turning back or trusting that god brought you up there for a reason so you go, all right, Lord, you help me up with those other ones. There's no reason you won't help me on this one. So rather than look down, because of course, you know, we all want to be curious on how far the drop is. We look down now we're now we're in our mind. We're like, oh crap, that's that's far. That's death for sure. And Lord refocuses your eyes and says, hey, look at me. I'm right here. I created that drop. I'm responsible for your soul. I got you. Don't worry about that. That's nonsense. Don't let that get in your head. Trust me. Put all your energy and strength into making that grab. Grab that ledge. 
And then you're like, all right, Lord, you got me this far. We can get further. And you run as fast as you can and jump as hard as you can. And you just barely grab that ledge, but you got it. You pull yourself up and you get on top of that ledge and you're laying down, hearts beating fast. You're exhausted. You're like, what the heck? I just did that. Oh my gosh. And then he comes in and he looks at you and he's like, we just did that. I was always right here. I knew you could do it. Let's go. Come on. And you're like, let's not do that anymore. He's like, don't worry. You got this. If you can do it once, you can do it each time after because you're not doing it alone. So you do that exact jump. Now you're more confident. You're stronger. You keep going and you're exhausted now. Now you're, you have nothing left, but you keep going. It's all heart. The only thing keeping you going is the Lord saying, you got this. Come on. Don't quit on me. Don't quit. You're crawling on your hands and toes. You fall flat on your face because your arms are giving up the noodles. Your, your knees are just worthless right now. Your back is in so much pain. You're just like, Lord, I can't go anymore. And he looks down. He gets down and looks you in the eyes and says, my child, I would not have wasted time pulling you up here if you couldn't do it. Stop doubting yourself. Get out of my way and walk with me. And you needed that big brother to speak to you that way because the gentle way wasn't getting you up. Sometimes he needs to be firm and give you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. And you're just like, Lord, why won't you just heal my arms so I can do this? Why won't you just give me the strength that I need to do? And he's like, that's the, you're missing the point. The point is not about me healing you. The point is about me showing you what we can do together. Now get up. And then you stand up shaking. Legs are just tremoring. Back is hurting. Your arms are just noodles with no strength left. You're breathing hard, but just can't because you're so high up and you can't grab oxygen anymore. It's just so thin and you're just the cold is getting to you. Everything is telling you, dude, go back. Everything is telling you, go back. But the Lord is standing there with his hands out saying, come to me. So you trust in him and you walk forward. One step in front of the other. The steps aren't that big because you're weak. You have nothing left but heart and faith. And then you finally get to you finally get to him and you're holding his hand standing side by side and you fall flat. Completely expensive in their energy. And said, Lord, I have nothing left. And then he puts his hand on your hand. And then you have the strength to stand up. And then he puts his arm around you and says, look around. And you look around. And then he whispers in your ear, you're on Mount Everest. You climbed Mount Everest. And you look around and see you're on top of the world. He never told you you were going to climb Mount Everest because you would never have believed you could do it. The Lord has got a plan for each and every one of you that's so much bigger than you can ever imagine. But because it's so much bigger than any of you can imagine, none of us, me included, none of us would actually believe we could accomplish what he created us to do.
So why do bad things happen to good people? Because those bad things are symbols of spiritual strength that he cultivated in each one of us. It's not about the bad things. It's about the victories that come as a result of enduring those things well. I really love that Everest story. God really, he blessed me with that story one day and I was just like, wow. He blessed me with the image and I would use that image to share points about trusting in God because it's so much easier to walk with God than walk behind or ahead of him. He wants us to walk with him side by side. That's why he says, take my yoke upon me or take my yoke upon you and learn of me. A yoke is that big wooden thing that they used to put on bison when they would plow the fields. What they would do is they would put a seasoned bison side by side with a brand new young bison, you know, or an ox, excuse me, not bison, oxen. Um, so the two oxen would stand side by side and the older, more experienced one would, you know, be on one side and the younger one would be on the other side. So the older, more experienced one would have the same yoke as the younger one and the younger one has so much energy and he started trying to run back and forth and that yoke would just carve into their skin and it would hurt until he learns that the only way to do this the right way is to walk side by side with the guide the one who knows the pace the older more experienced one and then they're able to work side by side together no one's working ahead of the other that's how jesus christ wants to work with us he wants us to take that yoke so he can teach us the pace, teach us the steps. He's not going to carry you up that mountain. You're going to have to do the work. But the thing is, is he's going to be right there with you every step of the way. Don't look at yourself in your own eyes. Look at yourself through the eyes of God who created everything just so you would enjoy it. He loves you. He loves you so much. None of you are failures. If only one of you would have been righteous, Jesus Christ still would have died for you because you're worth it. Don't let the voices of the adversary come in to complain about how victimized you are of God's wrath. These are lessons to be learned, growth to be had mastery to be achieved before i end is there anybody else that has anything they like to contribute or add something they like to talk about a question they have i'd be more than willing to hear you out and if i can help i'd love to help and there's so many of you on right now on the show and i'm so thankful that as i always say i'm so thankful that you could be anywhere doing anything Yet you choose this time to be here with me right now. Thank you for inviting me into your cars, into your homes, into your offices, into your jobs, into your ear. Thank you for inviting me into your life. Please remember, look up my podcast, Real Talk with RJ. It's the same icon that you see on my uh, on my picture, on my image right here. Um, it's available anywhere. Uh, podcasts are available. You can also email me if you want to at ross.curtis723 at gmail.com again that is ross.curtis723 at gmail.com put in the subject line podcast so i know it's from you and it's not spam or junk mail um and finally 
continue to share. Share this with everyone you know. There's a lot of good things out there that people need to hear. And I would love my voice to be one of those good things so that I know that I'm using this gift the way the Lord wants me to use it, not the way I want to use it. And I hope that during this time you felt that it was well invested and not wasted. I hope that uh, you felt the love of the Lord through this this episode. Uh, for those of you guys who don't really like to hear preachy, I you know I, I meant no offense. I just felt inspired to say what I said. I don't apologize for what I said because I felt it was inspired and necessary. Having said that, I'm thankful for each and every one of you who stuck around and who chose to listen. Check out the podcast, Real Talk with RJ, and don't forget to share this. Let's get this message out to the world. So far right now, we're in 12 countries, and let's keep letting it spread. Thank you so much. Like, subscribe, and follow. And check out the other episodes on my podcast on Real Talk with RJ. Thank you, and have a great day. This is Real Talk with RJ, signing out.